welcome to the Volva Diaries with host Dr. Amanda Selk, bringing you the 101 on vulvovaginal health. So we're going to talk to Dr. Nancy Phillips, who is a gynecologist and the director of the Volva Vaginal Clinic at Rutgers, which is in New Jersey. Hi, Dr. Phillips. Hi, how are you? I'm good. We're going to talk today about bacterial vaginosis. Do you see that a lot? Very frequently. It is one of the most common vaginal disorders that I see in my center and causes lots of distress for lots of women. And how do patients usually present? Patients usually come in with the symptom of a vaginal discharge, which is generally associated with a bad odor. And this odor sometimes is worse during around the time of their periods and after they have any sexual encounter. And how do you confirm the diagnosis? The diagnosis is clinically confirmed by sticking with the AMCEL criteria. The AMCEL criteria involves four characteristics, three of which should be present for diagnosis, and that is a characteristic vaginal discharge, which is generally thin, gray, and often copious, but not always. The vaginal pH is elevated. It is greater than 4.5, remembering that the normal pH of the vagina is anywhere from about 3.5, 3.8, up to about 4.2 or so. Um, the presence of a fishy odor, which is sometimes evident just on a regular exam, but if it is not obvious, then you can add 10% potassium hydroxide to a drop of the discharge, and that will release the amines, making a very characteristic and strong fishy odor. And finally, if you have microscopy available, if you look under the microscope at a sample of the discharge with saline, you'll see characteristic clue cells. Clue cells are squamous cells that are covered by bacteria such that you can't really see sharp edges of the squamous cells, and you need to have around 20% to meet criteria. And three of the four of those are clinically diagnostic for bacterial vaginosis. And what are the most common treatments? The most common treatments are antibiotics. And that includes either topical, topical meaning intravaginal or oral metronidazole is probably the most common treatment. Alternatives include clindamycin, tinidazole, and secnidazole. Tinidazole and secnidazole are oral, and the clindamycin can be or either oral or intravaginal. Yeah, you're, you guys are lucky you have so many options in the U.S. We don't have... Uh... We don't have the tinidazole and the other one in Canada yet. Oh, well, nobody here pays for it, so we don't have it. <laughs> we have it in theory, but it's very expensive. When you're counseling around metronidazole, what do you need to tell patients? What you need to tell patients about metronidazole, which is more significant of an interaction with alcohol, occurs when you take it orally. However, intravaginally, you can also have a reaction with alcohol. It makes you nauseous. 
um, and gives you a very sick, upset stomach, often leads to vomiting if you use any alcohol while you are using the metronidazole. And often, even if you use it for a day or two after you complete treatment, especially on the oral one, you can get that reaction. For patients with recurrent bacterial vaginosis, which I'm sure we'll talk about shortly, long-term or repetitive courses of metronidazole or high doses can lead to some peripheral neuropathies. So especially in your recurrent cases, you want to have them looking out for tingling or decreased sensation, especially in kind of the fingers and toes. Is that a reversible side effect? In most people, it is, um, but not all. Mm, So that's very important to keep in mind. Mm Mm-hmm. What about patients that are sometimes wary of antibiotics, even though they're the number one option initially? Are there any other types of treatments or things you would tell them to do to help with the symptoms or help with recurrences? Well, if we knew exactly what how BV was initiated, we might be able to be a little bit more preventative. We know that it is probably related to sexual activity, although we don't really call it a sexually transmitted infection. If somebody has recurrent BV, using a condom can be helpful to prevent recurrences. However, probiotics or vaginal acidifying agents have not really been shown to be effective. Certainly, other risk factors include vaginal douching, multiple sexual partners, smoking. Some of those are modifiable behaviors. The interesting thing about BV, especially recurrent BV, is that it's been it's been discovered in the past several years that the main bacteria, the Gardnerella, probably forms what's called a biofilm. And the biofilm is like an adhesive film that sticks to the vaginal sidewalls and it makes treatment a little bit less effective. And that is where boric acid can be applied. If you give somebody a vaginal boric acid tablet, it's actually a capsule, and they put it into the vagina, that can help disrupt the biofilm. And in conjunction with the antibiotics, it it certainly can be a little bit more effective. By itself, it's not effective or it hasn't been shown to be effective. And it's also really important to remind people that boric acid taken orally is poisonous. And so it has to be vaginal administration only. Whenever I prescribe it, I tell people three things. One, keep it away from other medications where it might get mixed up for something oral. Two, keep it far away from kids and pets. And three, while you're using the boric acid, you should refrain from having any oral sex because you don't want to transmit it to your partner that way. And what's the dose of boric acid? Like, How do you write it and how do you tell people to use it? Most of the time, it is a 600 milligram, um, 600 milligrams of boric acid powder in a zero gelatin capsule is how you can write it if you're having it compounded by the patient at a compounding pharmacy. There are also online manufactured boric acid that can be available to the patient. Sometimes there are 800 milligrams, but most of the time it's a 600 milligram dose. And how many days do they need to use it for? Generally, it's used as an adjunct to an antibiotic treatment. 
And in recurring cases, generally you will give the oral medication, either the metronidazole or the clindamycin or whichever one you choose, you would give that for the recommended dosage time and either simultaneously or at completion of that dose, you would give the intravaginal boric acid for 14 to 21, although I've seen it also written for up to 30 days. At that point, you can then change their prescription to twice a week intravaginal um, metronidazole gel. And you can use that for four to six months for suppression. And that's really all there is, right? That's kind of all that there is. Yeah. (laughs) Sally, that's all there is that has some evidence-based or at least some retrospective studies behind it. I think there are some people who do use, instead of the twice-a-week metronidazole gel, Um, For people who are not comfortable with the gels or or don't want to use the gels, there are people who will give one or two metronidazole, maybe 500 milligrams twice a week. I know that completely off-label and without any evidence base, I have sometimes prescribed metrogel each time somebody has intercourse if that's when their symptoms tend to develop um, with some success, although that is anecdotal. Some people do use twice a week boric acid as opposed to twice a week metronidazole intravaginally. Uh, Again, there's not a lot of evidence behind that. So we are really kind of limited at how we can treat these recurrences or these persistent infections. I don't think there's much safety data either for a long-term boric acid. There is not. And I guess it would probably be really hard then if you had someone who's allergic to metronidazole. If you have somebody who's allergic to metronidazole, your option is clindamycin. Um, however, it's not recommended to use clindamycin long-term for suppression because of, one, there's a slightly increased risk of yeast secondarily to that, and two, and probably more importantly, the risk for clostridial difficile, which can develop as a result of uh, prolonged use of clindamycin. There is also the suggestion if there's a metronidazole allergy to have a patient desensitized with an allergist so that they can then use it. And so you said for patients, you'd recommend don't douche, consider using condoms, anything else? There's not a whole lot else. And do you find that the group that has relapses, can you ever get them better or do they just keep relapsing? It's variable. Sometimes with prolonged treatment and condom use, they can get better. There is some evidence somewhere that uncircumcised men are less likely to kind of harbor the bacteria that contribute to bacterial vaginosis, although there's absolutely no recommendation to have somebody circumcised because of it. There is not good evidence that treating a male partner of a woman with recurrent BV is helpful, although those studies may not have been long-term enough treatment, and, and I'm not sure that there's enough data to be conclusive either way in terms of treating a partner. However, if you have a woman who is having sex with a woman, then if the partner is symptomatic, the partner should certainly be treated because women who have sex with women do show to pass the um, bacterial vaginosis uh, between each other. Would you tell that group to be careful with cleaning any toys they may share? 
Absolutely. There's been suggestions that the transmission from a woman to another woman can be because of toys that are not properly cleaned. There's even some suggestion to use gloves the way that you would use condoms for penetration um, with fingers. But I think in that situation, simultaneous treatment of the partners is recommended if they're both symptomatic. Are there any last take-home points? Yeah, I think what is really important is a couple things. Number one, when I see women who are referred to me because of recurrent bacterial vaginosis, number one, be sure it's the right diagnosis, and that's true with any vaginitis or vaginal symptom. Be sure of your diagnosis. It's very difficult to just look at a discharge without any confirmatory testing to know exactly what it is. Uh, Number two, be careful of some of the cultures that you can send because women with absolutely no symptom can have Gardnerella grow on a swab, and that doesn't mean that they have bacterial vaginosis. So don't treat women without symptoms or don't treat women for BV if the only symptom that they have or the only sign that they have is a positive Gardnerella on a swab. I think another very important thing and what I find have a great impact on their personal life, their sex life, their interpersonal life is to see them regularly. Don't just treat them. Don't treat them by phone. Treat them and see them at regular intervals so that you can really follow up what's happening, what's changing, what's working for them, what's not working for them. And I think that's really important. Thank you. There's so many of all the things you just can't treat on the phone. Exactly. Thanks for your time today, Dr. Phillips. Okay, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Again, Dr. Nancy Phillips is a gynecologist and director of the Vulva Vaginal Health Clinic in New Brunswick, New Jersey at Rutgers. 